Dickens a bit when you get that one King's Lane email and it pops up in your email box, you will love our next guest, Susan Feldman. Susan is the founder of One King's Lane, which she dreamed up and launched with a co-founder in 2009. Susan's going to talk about where that idea came from and how she built the company. She'll talk about big career transitions, of which she's had several, including her latest act, which is called In the Groove. It's a lifestyle community for age-defying women. Susan, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so delighted to talk to you. I am a big, big fan of One King's Lane. Oh, thank you. Um, it's such an amazing concept. So where did the original idea come from? Well, we moved to California from New York in 2005, and we bought a house. And I realized at that point that it was the first house I had actually lived in since I graduated from, actually, since going to college in 1973. So um, I was very excited to be in a home. We had a lovely apartment in Manhattan, which is where we had moved from. But just something different and really magical for me about actually being in a home that had a backyard gave me all kinds of opportunities to entertain in different ways than I had living in Manhattan and also extra rooms to decorate. And I definitely became a little bit of a maniac. So for the next couple of years, worked on, you know, my house and uh, trying to, you know, make it our home and really just obsessed about real, all things designed for the home. It was funny because I worked in the apparel industry and I found myself, I always say, I'd go to the airport to get on a plane. Instead of picking up, say, L Magazine, I started picking up L Decor. Uh -huh. uh, I became more and more interested in design and the home and you know what I could be doing in that space. And it was really that passion and that led to the idea for One King's Lane because I was a busy working woman and shopping for things for my home was you know there were great stores in los angeles that i could go to but online back in those days it was pretty dismal for finding unique interesting things for your home i mean the big box stores definitely were online and we could you know you could shop at crate and barrel and pottery barn and restoration hardware but things that were a little bit different or things that you might not see coming and going just didn't exist online at that time so i felt like there was really an opportunity to do something different in the home space mm -hmm. how long from i mean you began to have this glimmer of an idea you saw a need that you didn't feel like was right. being met so how at, at what point were you able to pull the trigger how long did it take it took about a year. So I would say I started thinking about it in late 2007 and talked about it incessantly for about a year until finally my fabulous husband, Bob, said to me, hey, here's the deal. Like, either go do it or stop talking about it. So he, I give him credit for totally pushing me in the pool, as I say. So I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a try. I mean, his take on it, which was helpful in thinking it through, is how bad could it really be? Mm. You know, if you manage your investment into the business and you think of it as an investment, if it works, great. If it doesn't work, then it was a bad investment. So, you know, put it in that perspective, it didn't seem like, you know, it would be so terrible if it didn't work. Yeah, but it was a risk, right? It was a big, everything was a big risk. And when we did it, it was actually that very height of the recession. So wow. we 
we I met Allie um, in October 2008. We formed our LLC. She's your co-founder. She's a co-founder, right? So we we which is a bit of a funny story, but we. I guess we formed our LLC mid-November 2008 and launched the business uh, the end of March 2009. So we moved very quickly once we decided to do it. Yeah. So tell me the funny story about meeting Allie. It can be so hard to find the right match. And when you're taking a big risk like this and then partnering with somebody who, in your case, you didn't really know that well, talk about how you met her. Exactly. And how did you know it was a good match? Exactly. I knew I wanted to do this with somebody else. I just had all my, throughout my career, I always felt like I had a partner in crime, whether it was if I was in sales and marketing, there was somebody on the merchandising side of the business, I worked in fashion. And I, I liked that relationship of having somebody to do, you know, work with and partner with and think things through. And actually, my husband, again, had met a woman, Lisa Stone, who at the time was one of the founders of something called blogher.com. She was very generous with her time. Bob had said, oh, my wife has this idea. What do you think? And she said, I think it's fantastic. He said, could I connect her with you? If she, you know, it would be great for her to talk to you. I said, absolutely. So I called Lisa, and the first thing she said to me is, what can I do to help you? Which has stuck with me to this day. And, you know, I try to pay it forward as much as I can because I just had never heard anybody say anything like that before. And I said, well, actually, I'm looking for somebody to co-found this with. I'm looking for somebody that has a digital marketing background. And she said, you know, I think I actually might know somebody. Let me check with them. If they're interested, I'll connect you. The next day, Lisa sent an email connecting me to Allie. And really, the rest was history. We It was literally like a blind date. I said, I've had two great blind dates in my life, Bob Feldman and Allie Pincus. <laughs> so we started emailing and talking on the phone and going back and forth. But the catch of this is she lived in San Francisco and I lived in Los Angeles. I said, Allie, three weeks into this, if you're really interested in doing this, you need to get on a plane and come to Los Angeles. Like, I need to meet you. Like, right. this is this on the phone and emailing is cute, but like, we need to meet in person. So I'm coming tomorrow. I had to like Google her, see what she looked like. So I went and picked her up at Burbank Airport. We spent the day together. We got along great. We had so many great ideas. This conversation kept going on for like another three weeks. And I finally said to her, like, are you in or are you out? And she said, I'm in, let's do it. And it was totally a leap of faith, but I think there are just certain moments in your life where you have to go with your gut instinct. And there were so many things that felt right about it. We just, we really complimented each other on so many levels, starting from our age. There was actually a 20 year age difference, which was kind of interesting because she had experience in certain things I had in other things but they just worked well together she was at a point where she had just gotten married I was at a point I was becoming an empty nester uh, our tastes complemented each other just aesthetically which was important for what we were doing and from a skill set we also that was something that worked really well she you know tended to be more of the marketer she did a lot of the writing i was more of the merchant i kind of you know did more of the finance and the business things when we got started and it just it just worked you know we were really lucky that it it worked and from a personality standpoint that you know melded really well as you know also so we 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 definitely we're lucky. I think sometimes there's a little bit of luck to it. Yeah. But you have to listen to your gut, too, I think. Yeah. Um, and it, it felt right. It definitely felt right. 
So you mentioned this was the height of the recession. This yes, was 2009. Was. So how did you go from a business standpoint? How did you go about raising money? What did that look like? And would you have done it differently had it been a different moment in time? It, it really was the height of the recession. And we didn't even try to raise money because, as I often say, I think the VCs were pretty much hiding under their desks at this time. So we bootstrapped the business. We each decided to invest a certain amount of money in the business. And we used that money to get the business started. And actually, the business was, uh, from the first month, was cash flow positive because we, you know, once we launched it, just, you know, we hit it out of the park, basically. And we got to a point probably six months into the business that, you know, word of our success kind of got out into the VC community and they had started to recover from the recession. And we got a lot of inbound requests from VCs to partner with us. So that was a big decision because we had gotten pretty far along without any partners, investment partners. But we decided that we felt the business had such a big opportunity that it would be smart to bring in smart investors to help us really scale the business. I think there was a choice we could have you know, created a nice lifestyle business um, or there was a choice to build it into kind of the next big brand for the home. So that's why yeah. we, we chose that path ultimately about a year into the business. Yeah. But it's originally based on this flash sale, right? Exactly. That right. Flash sale model, which right. you had run across as an executive working Ex in fashion. Exactly. And when did you know, did you know immediately that this was going to be a big success? I, I was blown away by this. I've been working in the fashion apparel business for 20-something years, and it really, when this flash sale model came along, it was really the first new channel distribution that had come along since discount stores, which had probably been 20 years you know, earlier. And as a manufacturer, I participated in one of these sites, a sale it was t-shirts. I was working for a t-shirt company mm -hmm. at the time. And we sold something like 1,800 t-shirts in 24 hours. And I was so blown away by the velocity and you know the hype and what happened, this idea that if you have limited inventory for a limited amount of time, like what that, the energy and what that you know fuels as far as sales. And so I thought, this is fantastic. There's gotta be an opportunity to do something like this in home because at the time, the flash sales that were out there were only selling apparel. Uh -huh. And it seemed like, well, if you can sell apparel why can't you sell things for the home and so we went at it and that was one of the reasons we really launched so quickly like literally within uh you know four or five months we from the time we decided to do this because we knew that if they were having the success that they were having in apparel they would be looking for other categories which in fact they did but we were really the first which makes a big difference first to market is a huge advantage to have and i think we were you know, really got a good jump on a lot of the other sites that did this after us. And, and as a result of that, we did something pretty radical within the home industry, really, you know, I think disrupted that space because prior to, even though we were doing these flash sales, prior to One King's Lane, 
there was you could go buy at the big box stores that we were talking about or you could go to the little specialty stores and then on the other end of this was this thing called to the trade which you really needed to have a designer to get into and it kind of felt like it was behind lock and key and you couldn't get to it and we really democratized the the entire industry so that people had access to things that they had never seen or had known about prior to one king's land which made it really interesting and and really fun. Yeah. How did you, I read somewhere that you basically launched with your 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 collective Rolodexes of about 5,000 people who got this initial email. Right. Right? And then how did it, how did it grow? Because it grew really fast. It did. Well, I mean, we did a couple of things. So our goal when we launched was to launch with 5,000 people. And so that was like a campaign that we did, but you know, like an ambassador campaign where between us, we reached out to a hundred people and asked them to reach out to people, et cetera, et cetera. And the day we actually launched, we had exactly 5,000 people signed up. Like literally the engineer who was running our site called, he goes, this is really weird. I'm about ready to push the send button for the email and you have exactly 5,000 people <laughs> signed up. I'd be like, send that email quickly. I said, that's gotta be like a sign of good luck. Uh, but we had done a couple of things. So there was something back in those days called Daily Candy, which was very impactful. Uh, they would run typically one piece of one story a day and we had given them an exclusive on one king's lane so the second day we launched they did a piece on us and we went from 5,000 to 25,000 people in a day and really I think in the early days which I think built a very strong foundation customer base foundation is that it was really word of mouth it was people that really uh you know it's big advocates of the site i like oh my gosh i just found this one king's lane i got the greatest thing on it you got to check it out and we incentivize people also to tell their friends so if you sign people up you got credits on the site and things like that so very quickly the customer base grew really fast you sold One King's Lane to Bed Bath & Beyond not too long ago. Two years ago. Was that difficult? How did you know it was time to sell? And how did you know that it was becoming time for you to transition to something else? Yeah, I think, I think it's always bittersweet when you have created something from scratch and you have a vision and you've seen it you know, come to fruition. And then you get to a point where you're... I think it's time that I need to figure out a way to take this business to the next level. And our vision at two years ago for One King's Land was that we needed to bring the brand to life. So we had created uh, in our offices in New York something called the Studio at One King's Land, which has been a huge success, which is really, it almost feels like you're walking to somebody's apartment in Manhattan, but you there's uh, designers in there that can help you decorate. They don't, there's no charge for it. You can actually see and touch, obviously, a very you know small amount of the, the product that's on the site, but you really get a sense of the quality and and what the brand really is all about is great. And so it, that was almost really a test for us that made us realize like it was important that we start opening some retail stores. And that's a whole nother business. And Bed Bath & Beyond is, they're experts in that. They have something like 1,200 stores. So they understand the real estate and how to open stores and run them. And it just felt like taking it to that next level having a partner actually selling the business to somebody that understood that made a lot of sense and that they had the resources to do that, which is also, you know, played into 
the whole decision making but it's hard yeah uh, but they're doing great they're getting ready to open a store in manhattan and soho uh hopefully in the next month which is amazing as they say hashtag dreams do come true i was just in the hamptons they have a fantastic store in southampton now and i think there's probably more stores on the horizon which is great and they've also done catalogs so there are a lot of things that we had been wanting to do that through the the expertise and resources of Bed Bath & Beyond they've been able to execute, which is awesome. Yeah, giving you more scale, basically. Yeah, and I think also being where your customer is. Mm-hmm. So the idea of having a catalog, having a store, having a great online presence, it's like your customer is in a lot of different places at different times, and if you have all these different channels, it's, it's a better way to communicate with them. Yeah, but you really nailed, I think, you really nailed this notion of curated content and you gave it something. It was not just, it's a really interesting business model, but you're also curating content that gives people sort of, you know, okay, click here if you're looking for sort of beach house chic or click here if you're looking for right. city urban chic or you're, right? So that you can click in a link and then you get all these things that sort of fit that particular aesthetic, which I think is really smart. So take us to, um, you have transitioned and started something that is a really innovative product where you're using a lot of your skills and experiences. Your new venture is called Get In The Groove. So what is Get In The Groove? Okay, so getinthegroove.com is what I would call a lifestyle destination, which means we cover everything from fashion, beauty, health and wellness, travel, entertainment, etc., for age-defined women, which could be code for women 50 plus. Uh, about two years ago, actually when we were getting ready to sell One King's Lane, a few things had happened to me that made me all of a sudden say, hmm, where are women my age hanging out online? I, I started like Googling around and looking for different sites and I just, I didn't find anything out there that spoke to me in a modern contemporary way that I felt understood kind of who I was, where I was at in my life, and things that I was interested in. So I thought, wow, this seems like a big white space. And then I actually started digging into the demographics and found out that women 50 plus, one of the biggest demographics next to millennials, it's growing. They represent about 70% of the wealth in our country and on the verge of doubling that wealth in the next 20 years through inheritance and things like that. And the kicker of it is that they spend two and a half times more money than any other demographic. And yet nobody is talking to them. Everybody's ignoring them. And they want nothing but to be engaged. So I was like, wow, this is fascinating. And I need to figure out where and how do I actually go at this opportunity? Because it it actually felt overwhelming to me in Mm -hmm. the beginning. It's such a big opportunity, such a big white space. And so I did some focus groups with a really interesting array of women. Some worked, some didn't work, some married, some divorced, some never married, kids, no kids. It was really quite a good mix of women. And almost every single woman in these groups said, I feel invisible and I want to be relevant. And I was like, ah, I could do something about that. That just means that you don't have access to information that is allowing you really to participate in the conversation. And I can do something about that, not all that different than what we did with One King's Lane, which is really all about 
nobody curated when we started One King's Lane. Now it's a little bit overused, the word. But it's the same type of thing. The information exists out there uh, for these women. It's just that it's so daunting. Like, where do you go? What do you believe? What, you know, how do you sort of distill what's important to you or not? And so we feel like we can do the heavy lifting um, that way. So talk about what the fashion trends are and how they might relate to a woman this age. Some are good, some not so good. Some you might want to participate in, some not not so much. Uh, there's so much going on in beauty, like it's it's overwhelming. So where do you go? What What is all this Korean beauty that everybody's talking about? It happens to be fantastic, but we'll break it down for you. Mm-hmm health and wellness finance what should you be thinking about you know uh as far as estate planning and documents i mean even i think for myself like i think oh my life is in order that way but you know when you think about how fast things are changing and things like passwords and things like that it's really kind of a new checklist that is out there that you should be thinking about and taking care of so we want to provide information make recommendations and hopefully bring things to this consumer base ahead of time so that they are, as we say, in the group. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I find it fascinating, given the buying power of this particular demographic, that they've basically been overlooked. I mean, they've been overlooked always, as far as I can tell. And even magazines, magazines are, you know, sort of a a dying thing to some degree, or they are in need of rejuvenation, I guess. You know, we're, we're pivoting away from magazines, but even more, which was basically geared toward this demographic, right. shuttered pretty quickly. It didn't yeah. stay it didn't stay up for very long. Why is this demographic so overlooked? I, th- I think this dates way back. I, so I think what happened is kind of in the Mad Men days, if you were in advertising or marketing, you're, you'd look at people and you'd say at 49 people are kind of locked and loaded on their or 50 they're locked and loaded on their brand loyalty so if you happen to use crest toothpaste and i came along and tried to talk you into using colgate that probably wasn't going to happen and i think this is like a hangover actually from those days that you know the marketers have seen this new demographic millennials they're very excited about it for good reason Um, But they haven't updated their thinking around baby boomers and people around this age. And it's a different world today. I mean, if if I showed up and said to you, I have a new toothpaste and it's going to make your teeth whiter and your gums better and whatever, you'd say, what is it? I want to try it. And so I do think that it, it hasn't happened, but it's happening that marketers and advertisers are starting to understand that there's a very big opportunity out there amongst this demographic and particularly the women in this demographic because they're the decision makers in most families as well and they're starting to uh, I think really target and try to market to these people and that's why I think something like get in the groove is going to be great for them because I think part of the problem also is there hasn't been really good platforms for brands to represent themselves on that didn't feel kind of old and you know like oh you're 50 you know like yeah sorry to hear it like this is going to be a sad tale and said you're 50 you're like halfway through your life you're just starting the second half of your life which is going to be amazing (laughs) so i i'm excited to present a platform where actually marketers and advertisers can tell their stories to this consumer in kind of a cool modern way that hopefully makes sense for them and i've actually had 
quite a few meetings with you know big corporations there's a lot of talk in in you know these executive boardrooms about i think this consumer and how much business is there to be had so i think i think it's a big opportunity for sure and i think it's changing yeah well you're tackling some really interesting topics and making things that we typically don't talk so much about like menopause right cool and interesting and kind of funny well we wish it would be cool right <laughs> well yes <laughs> no pun intended <laughs> no pun intended um but we are i mean we're we're talk we're talking we're talking straight and i think that's the other thing we're trying to be open and honest and not take everything qu- so seriously try to laugh about some of these things together Make it accessible right yeah i mean we're even doing something really fun and i don't know that i actually mentioned this but there's shopping on the site also of course because we cannot help ourselves because we're shoppers and there's curated shopping so it's really uh, you'll find a really nice i think assortment of fashion and beauty and lifestyle type of product but we created something just because this is kind of how we think, called the menopause registry on the the site, which is hopefully things that if you are going through menopause, these are things that might be good for you to get. Uh, they'll help you through it. And they, they range from very expensive wine openers to very nice cotton pajamas. So uh, we're, trying, we're, we're just trying to have fun. And some, a few things in between. Exactly. <laughs> totally. Definitely lots of things in between, for sure. So, Susan, you've navigated a number of different high-profile career transitions. Um, this can be really difficult, not just the changing uh, from one industry to another, but sort of stepping back to recalibrate where are you going and why, like, how do you know when to leave a job? And then once you've done it, even if you've done it by choice, it can still be a difficult process that you go through. What's your advice for women as they are contemplating or going through a career transition, either mid-career or as you were sort of transitioning from a very successful career into something else and trying new new things and using your skill set in a different way? Exactly. I mean, I did. I didn't even think about it. Actually, it was just kind of funny. I did it late in life. Like I started one Kings Lane when I was fifty-three, which I never thought about it until we started getting press and our PR person's like, we can run this article, but you're going to have to put your age down. And I was like, okay, fine. Like, put my age down. In your case, people probably don't believe it. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. But, I, you know, I think it's it's really about staying engaged. And I think everybody needs to reset, for sure. I mean, I just went through an experience where after working harder than I've ever worked in my life to build One King's Lane and selling it, I came out of that and I'm like, I'm going to start this new business because I had the idea, you know, when we did that. But it took like, I, I realized I needed to reset. I definitely needed to reset and recharge and to, I couldn't figure out what was going on. I kept trying to, every day I was trying to work on it. And then I would, at the end of the day, I was like, that's really weird. I just didn't get anything done today. But the truth of the matter was I should have given myself a little bit of a, a break and, you know, just kind of chilled and sort of contemplated what worked, what didn't work, what was good, what wasn't, what did I want to accomplish next, that type of thing. But I just kind of hit the ground. I, I think I was afraid to stop, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. But in a, in a way, somehow, the forces around me made me stop because it was about a year before I actually really started working on, you know, get in the groove. Mm-hmm. So I guess as far as giving people recommendations about transitioning, I think... 
it's really personal, but I do think that you need to give yourself some space and really have clarity about what it is that you want to do. Because I do think when you're clear about what the next step is, it makes it a whole lot easier. It's, it's kind of like understanding what your brand is and you know where you're trying to get to. When you have that in your head, it's a lot easier to do that than just sort of just jumping off and sort of zigzagging around which I guess could be okay too but I think it will take you a lot longer to get there if you do it that way yeah how much of that transition time in your view is spent sort of detaching from the identity that was associated with what you were doing before how, yeah. how critical is that and difficult and I don't I personally don't think this is necessarily unique to women your identity is very connected to what you know, if you're in a high profile career, you've been doing that and that's who you are. And so how much of the time is spent sort of redefining who you are and what's important to you? I guess it depends what you're doing. I think in my case, I didn't really disconnect from that identity because that was a, that's like a lot of who I am. I mean, I'm Susan Feldman, co-founder of One King's Lane, like that, I am that person and- Always will be. Always will be. And so I think actually it, it helped me for this next venture that I'm working on, being able to say that and being that person uh, showed up and maybe gave me a different kind of credibility than if I had really tried to separate myself from that. So I guess, you know, there might be a tendency like, oh, I'm done with that, I'm over with that, but I, I just never really felt that way. And I guess it depends on how you leave that previous job. But I mean, I'm still involved in some some ways with one king's land i'm i sit on the sideline as the number one ambassador nothing but you know rooting for big successes there and for the brand to do really well so i i don't i don't really see myself trying to disconnect from that i think it's more about clearing your head from you know if you've gone through like a big experience or it's been you know, you've worked really hard. You just need to re-energize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where does, so you're very creative and innovative, but where does the creativity come from or the inspiration come from? Are there sort of tools or things that you do to really charge your creativity? I don't know that there's anything that I do in particular. I just, I am a student of what's going on around me. I love observing and seeing what's happening. And that was kind of like this idea for Get In The Groove. I mean, this was seeing something on Facebook that a friend of mine had posted who I went to Stanford with and celebrating a friend's 50th birthday. And the hashtag was hashtag at 50 we're not invisible. So like to me, like I'm a student of that. I'm like, whoa, what does that mean? That, that didn't feel good to me. And trying to understand like what, what's that all about and, and paying attention to those cues. I think that's where actually the creativity comes from is like being aware and, and being present to things that are happening around you and sort of seeing where there are opportunities in white space that exist and and I think it's really hard today we're all so tied into our phones and email and everything like that that you have to you have to almost make a conscious effort today it's much harder to to be that I mean I you go to New York and you walk around and you see people walking with their heads down right <laughs> versus you know looking up and around and being part of this fantastic place um, so I, I think I get a lot of my cues just from environmentally and you know of course I like to travel and that's inspirational but I think it's really just paying attention to things that are 
going on around me. And this was kind of the same thing with One King's Lane. I mean, it, it was born out of my own personal need, but then I realized, like, I wasn't the only person that was experiencing that. You've written about your dad as having a big influence on your life and career. Talk about him. How did he shape the way that you have worked in your career and how you have approached your life? Totally. He was a very big influence on me. I mean, he was a retailer, which I guess is genetic at this point. Uh, So I started out my career in retailing. I'm in high school, college. I worked in department store when I first got out of college I went into an executive training program and you know at a for a retailer but he went on it was actually kind of amazing to to watch him he so he started at Macy's in the training program back in the 50s and then he when he turned 65 he retired from Macy's at that point he is out west at Macy's San Francisco Macy's California and he retired at 65 but he was a very young 65 and he wasn't one of these people that was like interested in retiring and not do anything like the complete opposite I think it freaked him out like actually that like I'm I'm not going to stop working and so he took this is a little bit of your question from before so he had when he retired he was in charge of stores so he had he had a lot of knowledge about the malls and all the mall owners he had relationships with them so he took that knowledge and he became a commercial real estate broker and was very successful and we used to laugh because he worked at Caldwell Banker and every year he was always one of the top brokers in the office and it was always my dad and like four 25 year old kids you know (laughs) and so he did that for about 10 years very successful doing that and somewhere in his head he decided he wanted to go back to school he was a big learner he was very curious which is I think part of why he stayed so young Uh, because he was always talking to people and asking questions and reading and he was just it was he was like a voracious learner but he had been kind of a weekend warrior painter and he decided he wanted to go back to graduate school and get his MFA but in order to do that he had to go back to school to build a portfolio so when how old was he when he 75 so he went back to San Jose State and took some art classes and built his portfolio, applied to California College of Arts, which is a very good art school in Northern California, was accepted. In 80, he graduated cap and gown with his, got his MFA. I think he still remains the oldest graduate of the school today. And he was such a supporter. I mean, it was it was interesting. The, the man that was head of the school said he was so inspirational for so many of the students there, just to see somebody that late in life trying to learn something new and do something different and so it was he was very very inspirational and then he went on to paint like a, I mean he was a voracious painter and then he had four or five shows where he sold his artwork and then of course because he was a retailer his goal was how many paintings can I sell it was always I remember before he passed away his last show he kept calling me I'm up to 43 you know <laughs> But he was, he was a character, and he was very charismatic. But I think it was just this, you know, constant curiosity to learn and understand what was going on. I mean, it was actually interesting. He, you know, in his 80s, he would take himself once a week to the Apple store to learn something new on the computer because he didn't want to be left behind. That's great. And I think it was just a great life lesson for anybody. It's like 
you know, you can sit and complain about, I don't feel part of it. I don't, but if you like proactive and you're constantly learning and you know, you, you will be a part of the conversation. And he was just a great inspiration for that. Yeah. It's great advice for life. Yeah. Susan, how do you deal with naysayers and disbelievers? You've taken some really interesting career risks. You've been an innovator, but you're likely to have had doubters along the way. How, how have you dealt with those people? There are, there are always doubters. You can be sure of that. That's one thing you could always count on. There will always <laughs> be doubters. I think you just, as an entrepreneur or somebody that's trying to create something, if you believe you can make that happen, you just put have to put blinders on and stay really focused and just go at it in a big way because along the way you're going to totally be bumping into people that you know don't believe in it or don't want to you know be the first one to try something and I think you just have to just keep pounding away but you you have to put up blinders so you sort of block those people out because they can totally be a drag on on you which you, you don't need when you're trying to start a business and then they usually come around you know they're the first ones to come around right. <laughs> we were with you all along yeah exactly exactly but blinders work you yeah. know it's like staying super focused and I think it's true just as far as trying to execute a business is that you need to stay focused anyway we were talking about this before we started the podcast just how it's important like as if you have an idea, it's very easy to want to expand that idea quickly, but it's important to stay focused and do one thing really well and then, you know, build upon that, that foundation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tell me, can you define where meaning comes from for you as you're launching this new business? And even as you think back on your days at One King's Lane, where did meaning come from for you? What, what, was, what was it that really resonated with you? I think I think meaning is when you create something or you have a vision for something and people really love what you're doing. And so that was like great with One King's Land when I would meet people and they'd oh my God, you created One King's Land. I love One King's Land. It's so amazing. I bought this, you know, then they would like, you know, launch into telling me what they got, what they didn't, you know, what they had, how it worked in their house, show me a picture. They would love it. And I hope the same thing for Get in the Groove happens that I hope people will love it. I hope it will make them feel good. I hope they'll learn things from it, be able to find things to shop for. And that they'll say, oh my God, I love Get In The Groove. It's like, it's changed my life. You know, now I have a place to go hang out. I have a place I can get information for, a place that makes me feel part of a community and and feel good. It's like, I think when you hit that nerve with people, that's really, you know, where you get meaning from. Yeah, it's really special. Yeah. It's really special. Last question. We ask each of our guests on the podcast to leave us with a single piece of advice or life hack. It can be a mantra, something that you tell other people regularly, maybe something that you've passed on to your kids. What is yours? Keep it simple. That's excellent. Excellent. (laughs) Susan, thank you so much. Thank you. This is so much fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And don't forget to check out getinthegroove.com. Getinthegroove.com. To learn more about Susan and GetInTheGroove.com, visit our website at www.shesaidshesaidpodcast.com or you can follow us as well as Susan and GetInTheGroove.com on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. We will post additional notes from the conversation as well as a few photos from our visit. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with your friends and please leave us a review. We would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.